welcome to the FE Research Podcast, a podcast that aims to showcase the practitioner inquiry, scholarship and research being carried out within further education. It's not widely understood and I think that's part of the problem. So if you say to someone, oh yeah, I work in adult community learning, they don't know what you mean. Mm. They kind of just nod or they're like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I think has been, they kind of look at you like you've got two heads. I'm like, no, honestly, I teach art to adults, it's lovely. <laughs> to come along to a class. Hello and welcome to FB Research Podcast. My name is Joe Fletcher-Saxon and my partner in crime is... It's Alistair Smith. Hello, Joe. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Not too bad. Thank you very much. I don't know what number we're at, actually, in in our season two that we kind of invented. <laughs> Let, let's say the first quarter of season two. Oh, very good. First quarter of season two. Okay, well, I've got a treat for you um, tonight um, because, you know, obviously you work in an art school. So I have, you know, brought in um, an art educator or an artist teacher, actually, is how um, she describes herself. Um, And it is Abby Cairns. Hello, Abby. How are you? Hello, I'm good. Thanks for having me. um, I'm thrilled to have you. So um, Abby is artist teacher working in adult and community learning which obviously I'm particularly passionate about and we've only had a few people on the podcast whose specialism is that sort of sector so it's great to have you Um, and you are in the second year of a full-time PhD so wow you know, full-time PhD. Although I say that, I think when I was just classed as full-time, I'm saying that, I think I was just... um, so you're kind of part way through, maybe into your second year of that. So do you want to tell us, um, start by telling us about your research focus as it stands, but I'm also interested to hear is how all that began. How did you become not just artist teacher, but artist teacher researcher? Yeah, so I always kind of say accidentally. <laughs> I loved education so much that I didn't want to leave. And that's why I became a teacher. Um, so after I finished my BA in fine art um, many years ago now, I was like, oh, no, what do I do? <laughs> so I went to an open evening of my local college and they had a PGCE tutor just standing there with a form in her hand. <laughs> I took the form. It wasn't even on UCAT. I handed it back in at the end of the evening. And before I knew it, I was standing in front of a classroom full of students. So that is how I became a teacher. Um, But that was in general, Effie. And I always knew that I wanted to teach adults just because I didn't enjoy my formative education myself. So I thought it would bring back too many (laughs) bad memories if I was in that environment, I think. Um, And as an artist, I think every artist has done a workshop in their time. So I'd had some kind of informal experience working with adults before Um, and really enjoyed the aspect of it where you kind of build their confidence up. Um, Adults and art is always uh, quite an interesting one, I think, because there's a lot of, oh, I can't do it, don't look at my drawing. So that's what I like about teaching adults is that you can really help them build that confidence in what they're doing. So after I done my teacher training, I went back and done my MA, because at that time I was considering HE. So I thought, well, I need a higher qualification if I'm going to teach in HE. Um, and I did end up teaching in Haiti, but I wasn't teaching art. I was doing kind of study skills and things like that. Um, and at the same time, I'd applied for a job working in adult community learning. And I've been there, I think, five years now, coming on five years. And I've not left. <laughs> they won't get rid of me, I don't think. 
and it's just brilliant so obviously I'm teaching them art so I'm doing what I love you can have really interesting conversations with them um but yeah I still missed being a student I'm always jealous of my students <laughs> and that's what led me to kind of apply to do my PhD um I was really fascinated about my role working adult change learning because as you're saying Joe, it's not many people out there that really do it there's a lot less just you know there are a lot less centers there are a lot less teachers that are needed I guess and it's not part of the everyday dialogue so I didn't actually know anyone that had any, had any contact with adult community learning before I had applied for the job um so I was like okay who are who are these people I didn't really see anyone at work because you're kind of the only art teacher um so you're meeting lots of other different teachers um but I was like okay there must be more than me I'm quite nosy I thought I'll find out about them what's the best way to do that probably research um turns out I was right so I've been able to meet lots of artist teachers and adult community learning had the privilege of interviewing lots of them as well so and I'm probably the only person that's going to thank the pandemic but it gave me time to write my PhD application because I was working um kind of three jobs before the pandemic and commuting four hours a day so I didn't have time to think about my research really until suddenly I wasn't commuting four hours a day so I wrote my application and it came really easily and I think that's when I knew that that was the right thing to do I really enjoyed it and I still enjoy it now going into the second year um so that's how my identity has kind of shifted I think I've always been like a researcher with a lowercase r and now I guess I'm a researcher with a capital r <laughs> they've made it official um but it was interesting you introduced me there as like artist teacher researcher because I've also stuck student on the end of that myself as well <laughs> so in my research I've come up with this diagram that talks about my identity being this artist teacher researcher student and kind of my quest to find some other people that fit into that title <laughs> I love that I love that my I might <laughs> I'm going to reference you in mine as well then um I think there's a lot of grappling with identity with um, practitioner researchers, actually. So uh, that's, that's fantastic. Okay. Um, uh, my next sort of question was, well, actually, you should tell us tell us the title, the kind of focus of your research. Like, tell us that. Yeah. So directly related to identity, the title of my research is Interrogating Artist-Teacher Identity Transformation in Adult Community Learning. Um, so it kind of changed, actually, but initially it was just formation and I changed it to transformation mm. because I realized that you don't really just form into one thing you continue to transform you know, yeah. continuously yeah just share that I'm just thinking about how you got to people because they weren't very visible to you and I remember you telling me that story of um nobody could tell you how many adult community centers or something there were tell, just share that yeah, so it was one of the parliamentary debates. Um, it was just on parliamentary TV, you know, check it out <laughs> if you've got a spare evening. Um, it just happened riveting, to be... Riveting things that you do of an evening. Go on, carry on. <laughs> yeah, my, re- my supervisor was like, really, Abby? <laughs> but it was really insightful, actually. So it was about adult community learning and the focus really was on their new push for adult community learning for skills. So reskilling people after the pandemic, I think is really what they were getting at. But it just came up in their debate that actually they didn't know how many adult community learning centres there were. You know, and I just think that's crazy to not even have a list. And I think it's partly because you have lots of different adult community learning centres. So I'm at a 
like a county council based adult community learning centre, but then you have ones that are in HE and ones that are in general FE. So I guess it is a lot to keep track of, but I was also just like dumbfounded that there wasn't a list. I was also a little annoyed because I wanted to use said list in my research. So now I've compiled my own. <laughs> I know. I feel like now you should charge people for access to that list. Well, maybe not me when I yeah. ask you for it. It's growing. I find like every time I do a new search, I'm like, like, how did I not find these ones before? So I don't know. The algorithms are helping me out now. Yeah, yeah. But I do have, I do have this thing about it's divide and conquer though by making whole swathes of educational provision invisible. It's very easy to ignore and not support and not fund and so on. Anyway, that's my soapbox. Right. So, what what um what keeps you going? What do you love about the the researcher part of your identity, and what keeps keeps that going? Yeah, I mean, I guess a cliche, but I just love learning. I'm definitely a lifelong learner. And again, like I guess harking back to as I was saying about my formative education, I don't think I would have been voted the student that they thought would go and do a PhD. Because I hated, absolutely hated school until it wasn't compulsory anymore. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, if I'm choosing to do it, it's actually all right. Um, and you're picking what you're interested in, I guess. And I think because I had that um, pushback a bit against education, I was particularly interested in researching teachers and thinking, you know, what were they doing? What, you know, why didn't it work for me? And then I guess not replicating what they'd done in my own teaching style. So that's the motivation is I just want people to have a positive teaching experience I think I want them to leave my class and feel uplifted and positive and even though it's an art class you know it's not really not always about the art particularly in adult community learning you know people that you might be there any point of contact that week and we get them to set kind of like personal aims for the session and some people's aims will be to come to the session so it's not necessarily about creating an outcome in you know critics or creating a 3d model and I think that is also what keeps me going is the community element of it. I'm not sure. When I was working in Haiti, I didn't have quite the same motivation to get out of bed in the morning because oh. um, it felt, I don't know, I guess a little bit more client-based and I wasn't teaching the subjects that I'm trained to teach. Um, so particularly with the adult community learning, and then that just feeds my want to know more about it. So, oh. you know, it's a joy to sit at the laptop and research and connect with people and you know, I learn something new every day and then that informs my teaching practice. And then hopefully, you know, that will help inform the adult community learning sector and help raise its profile, even if I can just wave like a little flag for adult community learning. That's what I hope to do by the end yeah. of PhD. Or, or 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 a big red flag, you know, I mean, whatever. I mean, the bigger the flag, <laughs> the better. <laughs> but let, let's go for a big, big flag. Okay, I'm just thinking so many directions. In part, I wanted to ask you about, I know there was a bit of a push for you to introduce an element about helping them in your students into employment, which maybe was sort of taking your work down a different path. But in a way, I'm thinking, no, I've got time for that. Um, I think my last question before I pass over to Alistair is, once you'd um, framed your focus, what was your approach to, well, I suppose it's like a methods question. <laughs> excuse me really you know what did you decide you would do to get at the information you wanted to yeah I mean I think methods and methodology is an interesting one isn't it it's not something you really think about 
if you're me, it's not something you really think about <laughs> while you're applying to do the PhD and then you quickly realise you need you do need the methodology. Um, so I settled on grounded theory because I don't know how familiar you or your listeners are with grounded theory, but it's all about going to the people in that situation and talking to them about their lived experience, essentially, um, and founding a new theory based on their lived experiences from the ground up, discovering something. And I was drawn to that because, like with the adult community learning, everything I do really is about community. Even in my art practice, I'm a text-based artist. I use language. You know, I'm intending to communicate with people in that too. So I felt like I needed a methodology that was going to help me do just that. I didn't want to be sitting behind a book or behind a computer. I mean, I am sitting behind a computer screen because, you know, that is 2021 for you. (laughs) But there's other people on the other side of that computer screen rather than it being, you know, like research journals all the time. And because the literature is so thin on the ground for adult community learning, you know, forget about adding in the specific of being an artist teacher in that sector. There's not all that much to draw on. So I was like, well, who's better to hear it from than actually people that are living this and have made this choice? Um, so I've been, yeah, spending as much time talking to people that are in this role as possible. Yeah. It's not something I'd come across before, so I had to learn about it very quickly. And I've kind of done different styles of interviews as well, so like life story interviews and get them to tell me, tell me their story from really when they're a child. Like it's one of the things that emerged is that. And probably unsurprisingly, these are all really arty children, really creative. Um, and then that kind of just followed them through. And it was their enthusiasm for the subject that brought them into teaching. So like, I need to share this with other people. So it's been great to find out those little snippets from people and have something that I can resonate with as well. So I'm kind of, I guess, also situating myself as a research participant. So with the Life Stories interviews, I'm also complementing that with autoethnographic writing about my own experiences and so I had one participant who used to put on exhibitions that she'd make her neighbours go to and we're talking like when she was five years old and you know I definitely done something similar Um, yeah yeah absolutely I used to charge money uh, for people to come and see my dramatic performances let's just say that Um, she missed a trick she didn't charge them oh oh, absolutely did charge um I really wanted you to talk about that because I know Alistair's just starting to venture into grounded theory so he will I can see the big gun on his face is thinking hallelujah um but I asked about methods you said methodology and we should you know we you know keep them separate but what was the um which way around was it for you did you start thinking methods or did you go methodology and then your methods emerged? That's a difficult question. I think the lecture that I was in was talking about both of them. Right. <laughs> and that is really when I started thinking about it um, was when they were telling us to think about it. I guess the grounded theory methodology came first and then it was looking at which methods would be most applicable in that Um and I mean, I, I'm using methods that are outside of that methodology as well. So I've had done surveys and stuff. And I mean, grounded theory says all this data. So I'm kind of saying, well, you know, <laughs> you've said it. So I'm putting these in. But really, that's much more quantitative than the grounded theory is on the whole. Okay. okay. Right. I'm going to hand over to Alistair, who will now be dying to ask you some questions now. Yeah, that, it was so nice listening to that. I was, I was kind of thinking, just keep asking questions, Joe, because I was enjoying listening. And there's so many similarities um, that I recognised in what you were talking about as well, Abby, um, through my own experience. 
Um, and you were talking then about data, right? You know, oh, I've had to similarly, you know, grounded theory, you know, all this data, make sure you get it down, save it and, and all those things. But actually, you know, beyond the data, um, of course, there's all the literature out there. And I'm interested to know what literature's informed your thinking so far um, and where that's taken you. Yeah, so with the grounded theory in particular, there's a big old book, Morsetel, that came out this year, actually. So I started there um, and it kind of covered everything from Vladimir Strauss, who were the founders of grounded theory that, dis- that discovered it, as they say. Um, but then I've kind of moved on to second generation grounded theory. So looking at Shamas and it's just a bit more approachable, I think, um, <laughs> than the original. It allows for more things within the remit of it. So that's the book that I've been kind of digging into. And then I've been trying to look at the other methodologies I'm looking at. So the automethnography, Caroline Ellis has written a really handy book on that as well. And I'm trying to see how these different things fit together, because I think they really do, because I think they're about looking, you know, from that ground up and with the autoethnography I'm looking from my own ground up so quite self-centered I guess um and then with the grounded theory I can look you know the other research participants I found it really useful reading other research papers or you know PhD theses that have used the same grounded theory and what methods they'd used and how they had done it and things like that getting your head around coding and then focus coding and really deciding what parts of grounded theory I was going to employ in my own research and justifying them um because that's taken me a long time I think I'm still working it out as I go along really because I've not done a big research project like this before <laughs> um so particularly the line by line coding which they you know promote quite heavily you know it's time consuming and you don't realize <laughs> it's like a practicality of research it's not particularly difficult I don't think but it takes a lot of time to code you know an hour interview yeah huge huge work ahead when you've got plenty of interviews going as well um and I don't know um if you've got kind of many interviews done at this stage or if you're starting to find anything out but have you got any emerging findings or themes that are starting to to come up and and show in the work so far yeah, definitely. So um, I think I'm about 20 interviews in. I've got a few more scheduled. Um, so seven of those are with managers of artist teachers and the rest of them are with artist teachers themselves. And that was just because from the current literature on artist teachers in any educational setting, they don't talk to any other stakeholders about what they think about these artist teachers. And I certainly couldn't do my job without my line manager. So I thought, you know, it would be interesting to have their take. What do they want in an artist teacher? Um, with the artist teacher interviews, definitely. So with that grounded theory, I'm looking for the basic social process of how these people came to be where they are today. And there's a really strong um, generational gap. So people of different age brackets have had different experiences of their identity transformation. And I'm getting to that point now. Use the S word, saturation is starting to happen. It's really exciting, didn't think it would, you know. Um, and the older generation, so kind of um 60 plus, all had careers before they went into teaching and before they were able to study art because they were of the generation where they had to leave school and get a job. Um, also pretty much all of my interviewees, just by I 
I don't know if it's the sector or if they're just the people that are responding to me are females. I've had one male participant um, that I've interviewed. And all of the women of that age bracket say, well, they weren't encouraged to study art. It wasn't the thing for them. You know, they were told that they should go and work in a factory or, you know, become a nurse or something like that. So that's what they've done. And then it was when they became older, they realised that actually they needed to go back to the art. Um, and then once they'd gone back to the art, it was a natural progression going into the teaching because then they needed a second career. They needed a job, essentially. Then you have kind of this middle-aged bracket, about 30 to 50-ish, and they've all had art careers before they've gone into teaching. So they've actually been practising artists, they've had studios, um, which is really exciting. I had someone that was selling prints all around the world. And their story is that actually being an artist is really lonely because it's just you in a studio on your own. So they, as a group collectively, seem to go into teaching because teaching is not lonely. Obviously, you're in front of students all day. And they found that to be their community that they could talk about art with. They could still do what they love. And with adult community learning, you know, it's often park time, very few hours a week, but it gives them that enough enough contact with the outside world that it kind of kept them sane and then you have kind of the younger generation I kind of fall into and we have gone straight into educate teaching um out of our own education so there's not been kind of like a first art career or any other careers it's been do your own education do your teacher training go into teaching so it's been really interesting actually to see that develop over the interviews and see these people slot kind of perfectly <laughs> into these three basic social processes which is exactly what you want with grounded theory um so pat myself on the back because <laughs> when you pick to do something like grounded theory you're like you don't really know if it's going to work or not <laughs> well i think you just profiled our staff room as well um and, and there are a good number of, of staff in in my college um and yeah it, every one of them would fit that completely so yeah maybe you really are onto something there that's that's really fascinating um but you know i mean this is great and, and doing the research and um you said earlier about you know you wanting to do this for self as as much as anything else but what does it mean for um the community around you and other community education and i suppose arts education as well yeah i mean that's really interesting that you just said that it you know you can slot people you know into that those basic social processes as well because I am talking to a specific sector here but obviously it's well clearly in your instance at least it's applicable in a different educational sector so it's nice so that there are going to be wider ramifications um I think particularly with the basic social processes what it's going to help with is um employment in the future of artist teachers so we're going to know that perhaps they are going to be coming straight from education and they're not going to have had an art career previously or had a you know you'll obviously get people that fall outside of that every now and then but then how do you make your jobs you know appealing to those people that are just graduating how do you get them to come and teach that opening to learning rather than FE or secondary or something like that making it a viable um career choice I think um in terms of what it does for adult community learning as well I've spoken to a few people that teach different subjects in adult community learning and they're just excited that someone is going to be mentioning adult human learning and research um because they've not seen that themselves either so people feel seen and I think that's really important it goes back to that community thing I think people want to feel validated for what they do and if you're constantly being ignored 
in the literature, then you're not going to be, you know, feeling great about what it is you do um, and kind of push back against that devaluing of the role and of the sector. So, you know, the more we talk about it, hopefully the more other people talk about it. I know like people I've interviewed, I've kept in contact with them and they'll email me every now and then, but I just spoke to someone else, you know, about this and, you know, I've had quite a lot of feedback after the interviews as well, where they've just, like they've thanked me, like they've given me their time for free, but they're like, oh, I've never actually talked about this before. So, you know, that's quite a small scale implication, but just to know that you've made someone someone's day you know it's quite nice and then hopefully that will develop more and more as people continue the conversation um I've started that process of like publishing journals as well and things like that so it's exciting um to see adult community learning represented in those so I've published with the NSCAD which is the National Society of Art and Design in their magazine and I was their first article on adult community learning um in their 32 issue history (laughs) so you know, that was like a big step forward. And I did have someone contact me on LinkedIn and someone contacted me on Instagram as well. And they don't work in the sector, but they were just like, oh, it's really interesting to read about it. Um, so I think, again, publishing in places where other people will see the research, not just people that are within it, is going to be really important. Yeah, I was just, just thinking then, I don't know whether, all because you've got your big list now of all these places, I, I don't think they necessarily see themselves as a sector. Do you? No, I think it definitely depends um, what kind of setting they're coming from. Yeah. So the people that work for county councils, I think, are quite uniformed. I mean, we're offsteaded and things like that. We fall under RFE a lot in that category. So they seem to have more of a secure sense of who they are. And I think before I came along, they probably would have said that they worked in FE. <laughs> I was like, no, you work in adult huge learning. <laughs> You've got to say it or no, no one else will. Exactly. You're right. You've got to <laughs> say it. And I think that is the thing. I've had some really interesting conversations recently with people in their early 20s who are in adult and community learning. And um, and through those conversations, that they're realising, oh, yeah, actually, yeah, that's <laughs> so almost... We don't have the words in the language um, to describe what we do. It's or yeah. it's ignored or it's not widely understood. And I think that's part of the problem. So if you say to someone, Oh, you're working out of huge learning, they don't know what you mean. Mm. They kind of just nod or they're like, What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I think is you know, they kind of look at you like you've got two heads. I'm like, no, honestly, I teach art to adults, it's lovely. <laughs> don't come along to a class. Um, um- Go on, sorry, go on. But yeah, I think that, you know, how do you make it part of the dialogue, everyday dialogue is challenging. But but will be hopefully one of the influences or impact that, that your mm. work will increasingly have because, you know, getting that floppy hat that you're on your PhD graduation isn't the end, is it? In many ways, hopefully it's the beginning and it'll keep giving you a platform to, to keep, keep saying this kind of stuff. On a completely different note, I'll just share with you that most mornings at 4am I have an idea and randomly the other day, and I did send this um, to Alistair, I decided I'm going to start designing a range of, um, what would you call it, apparel, I don't know, clothing with a particular design on it. So I'm thinking I'm going to talk to you about this when we start recording. 
This is marvellous. Anyway, Alistair, anything else to ask before we start to wind things up? Do you know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to ask the classic question. So we, we've heard a lot about um, what you've found and what you've been doing and all those things, right? But what's next? Because you, you must be doing this with a, a future focus plan as well. Have you got anything that you're thinking ahead to? It was really interesting right? because I was having a conversation with my supervisors and one of them said, what will you do next? And the other one said, don't ask her that. She's only just started the second year. But they suggested like research fellow type roles. Um, which I hadn't really thought about before. And I was kind of sitting there like, well, I thought I was going to carry on teaching art to adults and adult kids. <laughs> um, I love just like peer learning and mentoring and things. I'd love to go into teacher training, um, whether it be specific teacher training for artists or general, because I am just as enthusiastic about pedagogy as I am about art. And Working in HE teaching, something that wasn't my specialist subject, made me realise from feedback from others that I teach everything in a really quite artistic way. <laughs> so I can't get away from it too much. Um, but I mean, in terms of the ACL sector, I'd love just to continue beating that drum, really. Um, telling people about it, it was mentioned when I'd done my teacher training, they were mentioned adult community learning. And my BGC is in post-16 and lifelong learning. <laughs> so you'd have thought it might have made it into one session um but yeah I, I can't see myself immediately going into anything like management um anything like that but I'm still quite early in my career but I'd love to continue researching so maybe something like a research post would fit me quite well but I imagine I would continue the researching even without that title yeah well I hope you do I'm just thinking isn't it a shame though that we could lose you from the adult and community learning sector potentially because academia is seen as potentially the only route for you. What was it? Research fellow, you know, where are the research fellows within, you know, within. This? Yeah. And it's ironic, isn't it really? Cause I was, I was like, well, I want to teach art to adults. <laughs> and like, even where I work, they've been so supportive, but I think, you know, I'm very clearly the only person that has ever gone to management and said, oh, by the way, I'm doing a PhD. Because yeah. <laughs> um, they immediately emailed everyone that works there to tell them. <laughs> oh, yeah. in, a, in a proud way. That's yeah, like they were like, congratulations, this is amazing. And, you know, they have to sign off on my ethics and stuff because some of my participants work there. Um, so they've been really supportive. And yeah, I wouldn't, I don't have any plans on leaving adult into learning. I mean, to be fair, the hours are so limited that I could do it alongside pretty much anything yeah. <laughs> that I decide to do in the future. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, look, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I know there's lots of people that will really enjoy and be inspired by, you know, your story. So thank you. Thank Thanks you for having me. You have been listening to the FE Research Podcast, a Sheep Hill Studio production. Thanks for listening and we hope you can join us again soon.